Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so just so y'all know, I preach better when I hear some feedback. So if I say something and you respond, it makes me um, do better. So good morning, everyone. Oh, awesome. You're all alive. Welcome. Well, thank you. I just want to give uh, uh, honor to your pastor real quick, Pastor Dougie Fresh. Um, and are you guys blessed to have him as your pastor? Um, I got a, a word, a couple, a couple things. So I know you do that kind of stuff here. So, um, one is, um, before you said your, um, verse and the word about the, about Jesus drawing the line in the sand and change is coming, the thought popped into my head was change is coming. So that was kind of cool that you confirmed that. And then, um, you talked about the culture of compromise and when I was writing this message, um, I actually wrote at the very end of my message, a thought that I was like, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't know where this is supposed to go. Uh, but I wrote down that the culture that we live in is a culture of compromise. Um, and I, I saw, um, then as I was asking the Lord, okay, why, why these connections, um, as during that last worship song, uh, I got a vision of a giant grandfather clock and I could see, um, a bunch of gears inside of it, which I know that's not quite how a clock actually works, but I saw a bunch of gears turning, but they were slowing down. Uh, and I felt like the Lord said, time's a coming for that that com- that compromise to end the the time is going to stop um so i think the people are ready this morning for some stuff yeah. doug um so uh thank you guys for letting me be here today um doug didn't mention this but my wife and i have been um, on staff at this previous church for um a long time uh, i've been on staff for 10 years and the lord just ended our time there um our, our season at the life center and we're in a period of transition right now we're going to be moving up to washington at the end of january and um we've got lots of friends and family up there um but where we are at as as a couple and, and individually um is a a a period of change and that's what I want to talk about this morning. It is a, I would say this is my current life message. And so what better to preach than what's currently on my heart and what we're going through and to hopefully encourage um, all of us this morning. Um, and uh, just full disclosure, I spoke this message as my last message at my previous church um, that I felt as I was praying for today, um, what was going to be the best thing to talk about. And because when I ask the Lord for that message, what do you want me to to speak to people about, he said, talk about how to say yes to me. Yes to something bigger than you. Yes to the unknown. Yes to the uncomfortable. Yes to the surrender of yourself. Yes to the inexplicable tug out of a life of mundane existence ordinary existence. Now we're all ordinary people, but we can live extraordinary lives. And now this isn't something that I have a full grasp on yet. I never will on this side of heaven, (laughs) but, but we're working on it. And so what I speak to you about today is, is from my observations about the Lord, um, in our lives. And, um, here's what I do know. The only reason that my wife and I are in this incredible place that we are right now um, in this season, about to take the biggest step of our lives. Uh, We've lived here our whole life. I've been on staff at the last church for 10 years. That's what I consider my growing up church. Uh, 
you know, that's where she got saved and, and got onto the worship team and everything too. And so we're, we're taking a big step of faith here. You know, the only reason that we're able to do this with full confidence and peace is because we have done our very best just to say yes to God, whatever that looks like. And what I want to do this morning um, is actually share a part of my story with you uh, to let you get to know me a little bit and why I'm talking about the things that I am uh, to demonstrate really the importance and the challenges and the rewards of saying yes to God. And I hope that encourages and inspires and motivates you to say yes to him in a way that unleashes tremendous excitement and adventure and faith in your life because the clock is ticking down. And we all have a part to play in that. This morning in our um, pre-service prayer time, uh, Chris, I believe it was you that mentioned something about a fresh anointing. Um, And I have a part specifically about that that the Lord gave me that I'm excited to share, but that's at the end of the message. So, so... A few weeks ago, uh, I turned 30, which is super weird for me. I know that's not that old. I, at least that's what I keep telling myself. Um, but it, it is weird. Uh, but it's enough time to have experienced a lot of change. Um, and I want to talk specifically about the last six years or so of, of our lives. Um, we're at the beginning of that six years, back in 2012, God gave me a heads up that change was coming and that I was going to be an ex- experiencing an accelerated rate of growth, change, challenge, shifting, and sifting. Which, you know, thank you, God, for the heads up. But I, if I'd known what was actually coming, I would have said no thanks. But to give you a snapshot of events that happened to me um, in the last six years, not in order... Um, I've had significant, significant friendships uh, begin and end. Uh, I started dating, got engaged to, and married my beautiful wife, Alyssa. I got licensed and ordained in the Foursquare denomination. I became the associate pastor on staff at the Life Center. I established two side businesses. I got two cats. (laughs) Big life step. I staged an intervention for my mom. I, uh, I, I went on my first overseas missions trip. I had my relationship with the Lord, uh, severely questioned by people that I was, uh, leading. I had my, my leadership questioned by people to the point where people actually left the church because of it. I developed new eating habits. I had a mini faith crisis. I faced severe panic attacks and now I'm navigating the biggest step of faith in our entire life and including not having a job or a house lined up to where we're going yet. We just feel like the Lord said go, so we're going. But you know what? It's okay. We've got we've got 100% confidence and peace and faith that the Lord has already got us and that all of those things that we've experienced were catalysts to where we are today. And it's an incredible feeling to know that, you know what, despite how sucky it's been sometimes, the Lord has had us the entire time. Allison said it when she when she was up there and encouraging us that the Lord has been with us every step of the way. He's always with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, says the Lord. So in this extremely tumultuous time, these last six years, um, in several of those scenarios, um, especially the more difficult ones, I thought that the change inside of me was producing transition that something had to change for me to be at peace. 
that I, uh, a lot of the times that I, I felt that I was done at the church because, uh, I, it was just, it was just time. Uh, I went to the pastors more than once and I said, I feel like I'm in transition. And each time they said, no, you're just being emotional (laughs) or you're just not thinking through this properly. Like let's, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's figure out what's going on inside of you first before we really can determine that. Um, and as I reflect, reflect back on all these years, I realized that where I am today, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically are, a reflection of God doing some really interesting things in the background that I wasn't realizing was going on. And that's what he's doing in each of you as well. The, the restlessness you're feeling is the Lord moving something. And now there are a few main thoughts that I want to share with you today based on these experiences. And um, I've got several um, scripture to, to help support this along the way um, that have helped me to learn how to say yes to God when I'm in the midst of change. The first thing is this. Every yes to one thing is a no to something else. Every yes to one thing is a no to something else. Everything we decide to do is a decision to not do something else. For example, each one of you here right now said yes to come to church today and no to sleeping in longer, you know, past 10. Unless you were dragged here by somebody, then you didn't really have a choice. When you say yes to go to work during the week, You're saying no to irresponsibility, theoretically. When you say yes to healthy eating, you say no to 10 cheeseburgers in one sitting. Except for Bubby, my good friend over there. I know that's what he likes to do. Saying yes has to do with choice. We like choices, don't we? We like to choose hair colors and bands that we listen to and our political party and the milk options for our coffee. We are all about the choices, choice to do what we want, when we want, and how we want to do it. But it's frustrating, isn't it, when we can't choose certain things, right? We, if we had it our way 100% of the time, you would choose to never get cut off in traffic. Flights would never be delayed. Your daughter would never date a punk or at all. Your husband, what you would choose for your husband to get the laundry sorting right every single time. You would choose to have the boss that gives you a raise every year. Like we, we don't get to choose all of these kinds of things. And it's even more sad and frustrating with the things that we don't get to choose that are the big stuff, the life-changing stuff. Like we don't get to choose someone passing away unexpectedly. We don't get to choose someone that's our significant other uh, cheating on us or breaking our trust. We don't, we don't choose that. We can choose decisions that lead to some of that, but, you know, that's a different subject. We don't, we don't choose these things. We don't choose to be backstabbed by someone who should have been trustworthy. We don't choose for a child to get bullied and scarred for life. Unfortunately, most of life is like this, unchoosable. Part of the reason why so many of us get frustrated with the things that we can't choose is because we don't like change, no matter how big or small. Anybody not like change? Anybody that goes, nah, change is not my favorite thing. Yeah. Because sometimes change means we have to form new habits, new choices. Other times it means, means we need to adjust how we live our entire life. And what happens when we have these unwelcomed, uninitiated changes that deeply affect us. 
what happens? We begin to try to find ways to regain control. To compensate for the things that we don't have control over. So we control what we can. And in so doing, there's a tendency for us to react from our emotions. Rather than respond from a place of confidence in God's goodness and faithfulness. And we try to navigate the difficulties outside of the influence and direction of God. We might feel like, maybe you've thought this before. Well, if he's so good, why did he let this happen? Or, you're acting kind of slow here, God. Why aren't you doing anything about this? Do I need to take this into my own hands? So we choose to do things independently and cause an unnecessary amount of stress, anxiety, relational conflict, and a whole myriad of other issues in our lives. Amen? It's because we just don't get it outside the will of God. We mess it up when we try to go it alone. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way to death. Yet we consistently choose <laughs> to try to control things ourselves. We say yes to the wrong things. We say yes to distraction. We say yes to being dictated by our emotions. We say yes to changing pieces of our, la- of our lives based on the opinions of other people. We say yes to worldly wisdom. We say yes to wrong thinking. We say yes to sin. We say yes to things that numb us to avoid the situations at hand. And when we say yes to these things, whether intentional or not, we're actually saying no to God. I believe that a lot of the struggles that we have in churches today, why people look at Christians as jokes a lot of times, is because the people of God far too often are telling him no. God's people are telling God no. How do I know this? If God's people would simply say yes, churches would be growing instead of declining. Ministry and department leaders wouldn't be competing with each other. Small groups wouldn't talk crap about the leadership and then leave the church. Fundraisers wouldn't be a thing because everybody was tithing. Pastors all across the nation would actually get to reach people and do ministry and spend less time having meetings with disgruntled members because the music is too loud or too soft or too contemporary or too old. Churches would be developing leaders to reach people that have never heard the name of Jesus instead of wasting time and energy trying to convince someone not to leave the church because they forgot gluten-free communion crackers. You laugh. This is some of the stuff that pastors deal with. All of these are very real, admittedly kind of ridiculous scenarios that happen when we as God's people say no to God. Imagine what would happen if God's people stopped saying no to God as much as non-Christians do. These happen when we say no to God, when we don't step up and serve, when we choose to gossip, when we choose to let unforgiveness fester, when we consult people disconnected from the heart of God. Hold on a second. If there's something you're trying to make a decision on in your life right now, 
Every decision that we make is a spiritual decision. There is no decision that we make that is outside the will of God. God is part of it all. So if you are consulting people for wisdom and advice that are not connected to the heart of God, they have no say in that. They don't get it. They don't understand. You say, God bless you. I appreciate you. I got my people. And I got my God. That was just a side note. That one wasn't even in my notes. That one was for free. When we don't obey God's commands, we're, when we're, we're saying no when we don't obey God's commands. When we go to church based on preference instead of on calling. When we pick and choose which parts of the Bible we feel are relevant. And look, I'm not saying that if everyone said yes to God, then everything would be perfect. But life would certainly have some improvement, amen? And what's really great, though, is that God is not human. He isn't like us. He doesn't operate on a level of limited ability and knowledge like we do. He doesn't get swayed by our feelings. He doesn't get swayed by our actions. He doesn't operate like we do. He says it this way in Isaiah 55. Verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in Malachi 3, 6, he explains why this is a big deal. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, aren't destroyed. Thank you, Jesus, for that. This means he doesn't change, and he doesn't change his mind, and he won't one day all of a sudden decide not to be helpful when you're consulting him for help on something. The Lord gives us an opportunity in every single circumstance, whether it's something small or big, to not have to rely on your own strength and your own knowledge and your own ability, but to rely on his to help you deal with the changes that you have no control over. And this is good news because we are just empty wells. We can't do anything on our own for very long before we just feel empty, going nowhere, ineffective, and dry. So this is our starting point for saying yes to God, where we say yes to God and ultimately no to self in every situation. And from here, with saying yes to God, the Lord can do some real work in your life internally and externally. And so the, our, my second main thought I want to share this morning is this in regards to change. And you think you have to change everything like change houses or change spouses or whatever you want to do. True transition doesn't begin with a change of location. It begins with a change of heart. True transition, true transition doesn't begin with a change of location. It begins with a change of heart. I can't tell you how many of those times when I talked to the pastors and said, hey, I think I'm in transition. I think I'm, I'm done here. That I thought a change of location, a change of my physical environment was what I needed to fix what was broken inside of me. Now, I'm not talking like I had a quarter life crisis where I was like, I need to just move to the mountains and get a Ferrari. Not that you would drive a Ferrari in the mountains, but you know. Make these drastic changes. That's not what I, I was feeling. I mean that I thought that I just wasn't a fit in my current environment anymore. That I had used up all of my gifting. That I had met my mistake quota. That I had ministered as much as I could and I was done. 
But you see, the truth was, I actually was in transition 100% of the time, but it wasn't in the ways that I thought. The transition weren't from my assignment as part of that team or that church. The transitions were going on in my heart. And as I talked through these supposed transitions with, with my pastors, there were things that came to mind to, to my mind from my heart that I realized were just my weaknesses and insecurities being exposed. Those were very, very uncomfortable, uneasy, challenging, growing, stretching moments that were forcing me to evaluate exactly what I was made of. And I did not like it. Here's the crazy thing. It was the Lord facilitating these uneasy, uncomfortable, challenging, stretching, forcing times in my life. Sometimes we are tempted to think that the deep anguish inside of us are caused by Satan. But let me tell you, we give Satan far too much credit. Believe it or not, God is in the business of character building. He calls this process refinement. In Isaiah 48, 10, it says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Man, if that doesn't mess with your theology, I don't know what will. 1 Peter 1, 7, he says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the process of refinement. Refinement burns out impurities and integrity issues in metal under intense pressure and heat so that it can be stronger for whatever it's fashioned into. My metal was being tested. You ever heard that phrase before? When your metal is tested, that's where that, that comes from. And I had to go through this process to refine me and strengthen me and mold me apparently multiple times so that I could eventually say yes to God without hindrance or holdback, without cracks that would break me apart under the pressure of uncomfortability. The only reason why I made it through any of the refinement process was because I said yes to God in those moments of misery. Now, Here's the thing. I would tell him no sometimes. I'm not up here standing, standing up here saying I got it all right because I didn't. I said no to him several times. And so because of that, it took longer for him to work some of those impurities out in me. And he's, But you know what? He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon you. He'll go at your pace. But I wanted to go at his. So I, even when it hurt, okay, God, I'll do it. took longer sometimes because of stubbornness or of pride or of fear. All things that don't belong to me, those are all burdens that Jesus already took away. And as we've discussed already, saying yes to God is important because of what you can do with his help. But it all comes down to one singular thing, the only thing that we have control over in this life. Do you know what that is? What we do. Weird, our choices, our response to change. 
this is the only thing that we have control over, what, what you do in any given situation, whether good or bad, and how you choose to respond, whether you respond in wisdom and faith or to react from emotion, whether you say yes to God or no to God determines what God can do with you in the future. Now, there's a great example of this in the Bible. Thousands of years ago, God promised uh, the man named Abraham, who is known as the patriarch of our, of our faith people, the Israelites of Christians, that's where God began to work first. Uh, he told Abraham that from him and his offspring would come a great and powerful nation, one that would be a reminder and a symbol of God's faithfulness for generations to come. He also let Abraham know that it wasn't going to be easy, that there was going to be a lot of ups and downs, that the people were going to be in captivity for a long time uh, before that promise was ultimately fulfilled, but to rest assured that it would happen one day, I promise. Very long story made short, Abraham has kids who have kids who have kids who have kids, and on and on, and he and his people grow in number extremely rapidly, and eventually these people become known as the Israelites, become enslaved in Egypt, and after 10 awful plagues, against Pharaoh and the Egyptians oppressing them, Moses leads the Israelites to freedom and pursuit of the promised land that God originally told Abraham about. Finally, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, which was because of their sin and faithlessness and forgetfulness, they eventually see the promised land ahead of them. They're standing on a cliff, looking out and seeing the promised land of Canaan before them. So Moses sends 12 men to scout out the land to see what they're inheriting. Say, hey, go check it out. See what you might be up against. And these men saw great abundance and rich soil and opportunity to really flourish. But they also saw powerful armies and cities. So this is where I want to pick up in the word with, with the scripture. We're going to see what the response from the men is. They're here on the little, literal precipice of major change. And this is their response. This is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 26 to 31, if you want to read along, Numbers 13. The men came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There, they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which are the giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. So they're saying we're surrounded. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So a bunch of whining and complaining. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Give me one second. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You see here that there are two different camps of thought for the response. 
to what these men have seen. Because on the one hand, you have 10 men who react in fear to the challenge. And on the other hand, you have two men who embrace the opportunity in faith. Now, you may have heard this story in the past in the context of having godly perspective in overwhelming situations and living in faith, not fear, that kind of stuff. But what I want to draw attention to here is the transition that they were going through, the transition between the land of wandering and the land of promise, this actual transition time. See, the Israelites consistently thought that the end to all of their problems was a location change. Just like I, I thought I mentioned about myself earlier. They thought, oh, if we could just get out of Egypt and into the desert, at least we wouldn't be dealing with this oppression anymore. And then they go to the desert, and things aren't better. And they say, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt where we were captive, because at least we had food. And then they realize, no, that's a dumb idea. And they say, if only we could get to the promised land, where this land is supposedly flowing with milk and honey. Now, in part... They were correct. They were on their way to a place that the Lord had prepared for them, a land of promise where they would be delivered from their captors. But here's the problem. The 10 men who saw everything and freaked out were fixated on a physical transition. They represented the majority of Israel who thought that their solution was to up and go, when in reality, the Lord had been trying to transition their hearts first the entire time. Turn your eyes to me. Come back to me. Over and over and over again, he did the process of refinement with them. And then they would say no to God. They made idols. They complained against God. They mistrusted God. They complained against their leader, Moses. They made God and Moses angry. They did some messed up stuff. So you know what happened? God gave them what they wanted. They changed location many times in that 40 years. Did you know that's only an 11-day journey? It took 40 years. He's like, fine, you want to transition? I'll move you until you're sick of it. And finally, when they are on, again, that precipice of change and promise fulfillment, the 10 men fully expecting Canaan to be nothing but flowers and puppies and butterflies. See that it is not all that they thought it was cracked up to be because their hearts were not right. And they were exposing the fact that their hearts still had not transitioned. So they weren't ready for what was next. So they were not ready for the promised land. And you know what happened next? All of them, all 10 of those guys, plus the entire generation of Israelites who were considered of accountable age, which was over 21, died. And did not get to see the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. Not even Moses got to be part for a different reason. But Caleb and Joshua were the only two men. And then everyone under 21 were the ones that got to inherit the promised land. They didn't get to see it. So here's the deal. Our, hmm, before I go into that, a thought just came into my, my head here. It was the, the, the children that inherited the promise. Jesus talks about being like a child coming to him. This is also another random thing. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, the Lord's just kind of putting some things in my brain this morning, in my heart. Um, 
personally, and I know that Doug has some of this too, I am um, not in the business of revival. That sounds very strange, I know, but here's the thing. I'm passionate about reaching those that have never even had a seed in them before about Jesus, where revival isn't an option because revival means that there was something there before that needs to be reignited. The children of today have never had a seed. According to the Barna Research Group, this generation, the my generation, which is millennial, most of my generation and down are considered the first fully atheistic agnostic generation. It is our children that are inheriting what we leave behind them. Don't let the promise die before you reach it. I just felt like I needed to say that first. Because here's the deal. Our physical readiness will follow our spiritual willingness. I'll say that again. Our physical readiness will follow our spiritual willingness. Just as the Lord waited for my heart to be at a place that could actually handle what he's got prepared next, just as he waited for those particular Israelite men, Caleb and Joshua, and look, they had to go through the same process as all the other guys. It was how they responded that mattered. Just as he waited on them, to be ready for the promised land. So the Lord is working in your life too, no matter how young or how old. Now, you might be waiting on God for something. Maybe he promised you great impact in some way. Maybe he promised you financial freedom. Maybe he promised a restoration of a relationship. Whatever it is, be mindful and consider what you may be telling him no to. That is keeping you from being able to advance through the refinement process to get you ready for the release. Now, please don't misunderstand me. What I am not saying is that you have to be perfect for him to do this. I am not saying the Lord can't use you if you don't have perfection because that's legalistic. That was the Pharisaic way of thinking. What I am saying is that today's decisions affect tomorrow's possibilities. Real simple. What we decide to do today affects what we get to do tomorrow. Our decisions today to either react or respond determines what God can actually do with us tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I want to be used to the fullest for a greater purpose than I can see or realize right now. The physical manifestation of change in your life will come as a result of your willingness and self-awareness to say yes to God. My last thought this morning, and this is where the fresh anointing thing comes in, and even some of that stuff with the kids that I just talked about. I believe that um, a lot of people, um, including here at the Rivers and all across the nation, are in a season of change and transition. Change is coming in a lot of different ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God is allowing some really interesting things to happen in America right now. I choose that word allowing very intentionally. He, because nothing happens without his approval. That's what we learn in Job. God is allowing for families to be broken apart, torn apart. He is allowing for people's entire existence to be changed based on their preferences for their identities. God is allowing 
for the most polarizing political turmoil we've ever had as a nation. He is allowing for the literal shaking of a nation. Here's the thing. It was prophesied a long time ago this would happen. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us. By the way, the UK has already experienced everything that we're freaking out about as a nation. Canada is well on their way as well. Where This isn't new. God's not like, oh, shoot. He didn't forget to set his alarm on his phone. This was prophesied a long time ago. He prophesied to us that not until every single tribe and nation and tongue has heard the name of Jesus would Jesus come back. And here's the thing. We're going through a cycle right now where there's already been those before us that have gone through all this craziness. And now we're experiencing it too. Because here's what happens. In Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15 says this. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can I get an amen, parents? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. He is allowing for our country to fall apart just as the other countries have fallen apart before us. And this is good news because in Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the broken hearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He draws the broken to himself. So he is allowing, even though it super sucks in a lot of ways and extremely heartbreaking, People are going to find God again, but people are going to find him for the first time. As the nation becomes more polarized, the people of God have an opportunity to bind closer than ever to each other and to God because it is in the darkest dark that the light shines the brightest. We are called to be the light of the world, a city on a hill for everyone to see. And what better time to be the church than in a nation that is increasingly being characterized as lost? We're already seeing this happen, actually, this amazing stuff. For the first time in a very long time, um, and in some cases ever, great breakthroughs are happening in Christian unity. Denominational barriers are being broken down creating bridges between long-standing rivalries. Men and women of prophetic gifting uh, are coming together for entire conferences that, where they are receiving visions and dreams from the Spirit about a fresh outpouring of God's presence and a new visibility of his power in the nation. Joel 2.28 says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men, like Doug, will dream dreams. <laughs> Your young men, like Corey, will see visions. Again, interestingly enough, it is a significant fact about that fresh anointing from God because, as I said, the Gen Z generation is the lost generation, the first truly lost generation. That means that revival really isn't the aim. So the birth of something new is. 
and and here's here's why I kind of say all this is my last part of of change. God is is uh, shuffling the deck, ruffling feathers, sifting sand. He's looking for people who would say like the prophet Samuel when he was a boy, "Here I am, Lord, send me." Like the prophet Isaiah, "Here I am, send me." In a world, by the way, both of those people were the young they were young when they were called. Again, kids, youth, young adults. In a world that says yes to all of the wrong things, things that don't matter in 100 years. Things that don't matter next year. In a country that is so lost and broken and on the brink of destruction, God is looking for who would say yes to him and who would allow him to transition their hearts, maybe their location. Change is coming for this church. Get ready. Jump on board or jump off. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Doug. You might have 14 people next week. Change is coming. But if you're wondering if you've got what it takes to do something great, if you could be chosen, you can rest easy. Because you have been chosen. Every single one of you has been chosen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, is Jesus speaking, John 15, 16. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Not only have we been chosen, but whatever we ask for in the name of Jesus, he's going to give to us. That is the gift of Jesus. Because you have been chosen, you can say yes. Choose to say yes to him today. In fact, the greatest yes that we can choose, first and foremost, is to say yes to Jesus in our heart. Jesus, who was sent from heaven to save us, so let's, let's all say yes to Jesus this morning. Yes to freedom. Yes to purpose. And yes to peace. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we're so thankful, God, that you are the one who sees it all. Nothing comes as a surprise to you. Everything we've been through didn't come as a surprise to you. All the tough things that happened to us, all of the messed up things that happened to us did not come as a surprise to you. But Lord, that is not a reason to despair. That is not a reason to question your goodness about why you let these things happen to us. Because you were with us every step of the way, strengthening us, empowering us, encouraging us. I think about my mom who growing up was sexually abused by nine people. And as she processed through this, um, this fact later in life, she realized, Lord, that you were there every single time when she was dealing with this stuff, Lord. But you don't promise to, to walk us around the fire. You promise to walk with us through it. And God, even when we, we experience these hard times, these times of change, the times that we don't get to choose, the times when, when the circumstance is so overwhelming, when we have those giants in our lives, you're there through your spirit saying, we've got this. I've got you. I've empowered you. I have chosen you to be able to handle this. You're the one for the job. 
And God, you, you gave us this ability because of your son, Jesus. And for that, we are eternally grateful, literally eternally grateful. This morning, if, um, if you would say that um, as you're hearing all this and you're feeling a, a quickening in your heart, your heart's beating kind of fast. You're like, man, I, I don't know that I've ever had Jesus in that place in my heart before. Maybe, maybe it's you, you gave your heart to Jesus when you were a child and, and that was kind of where you left it. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus at all, but you've considered yourself a Christian because you're part of the church and part of the community. Can I encourage you this morning to say yes to Jesus being the one to be the Lord of your life, to be the one who has full control over your thoughts and actions. Now that doesn't mean that he's gonna control you like a possession, He's going to give you the mind of Christ, the Bible says, where your spirit and your mind will be renewed to be in alignment with his. If you would say, I want to give my heart to Jesus this morning for the very first time or the first time in a really, really, really long time, would you just lift your hand right now so I could see you and, and, and say, God bless you? You would say, I want Jesus right there in my heart. Well, if you would if you would say that that Jesus is in my heart, but I realize that I I haven't really been saying yes, and I I I want to, I need to, and I I need that strength this morning to say yes to God in many different ways. Would you just raise your hand this morning and say yes? I want that. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want the Spirit of God to empower me to say yes in new ways. Yeah, all over this room. Amen. Well, Lord, we, you see these hearts and you see these hands, God, and you are so pleased. You're so pleased. Even those that, that didn't raise their hands, Lord, um, you know alone what's, what's in their hearts, God, and you are so pleased anytime anybody says yes to you. The angels of heaven rejoice, the Bible says. 